What a clear picture of who we are in God's hand. And here's, here's the wonderful news. As he is the potter and we are the clay, as the Bible likens us in, the, in that kind of way, he never does anything that is not good for us. He's the, he's the master designer, and he always creates a masterpiece. So could we just thank our Hula sisters one more time? What a wonderful way to give us that kind of picture. You know, as the Bible likens us to this thing called clay, and uh, he's the potter, it helps us to remember that when he shapes us, that means his hands are on our lives. He doesn't, he doesn't just let us become something just by accident. No, he, he wants to put his hands on our lives so that he can create something wonderful out of the life that he has given to us. He uses different kinds of tools. He'll, he'll use different kinds of techniques. It's a life that he has given to us. But we got to trust in him, right? I mean, sometimes we don't trust him. we got to cooperate with him. We, we have to know that he's doing something good in our lives. Even when it doesn't look like it's going well, God is still doing good things. If you take a look at like a, a clay sculpture, just when it starts off, it could just be this block of clay. And it, it doesn't look like things are going well. Maybe it looks like uh, that uh, there's some mess behind it. Maybe it doesn't look like it's happening. Uh, life is not going according to what your plan is. And God is saying, no, I'm doing something. You just need to see what I see. And you're looking at this as your finished product, and God is saying, I see the finished product. I, I know exactly what I'm doing. You, you see this, and you think, okay, you're done, God. God is saying, no, I'm taking you from glory to glory. I'm going to have to chip away some things that are not me. I'm going to have to carve away things that are not supposed to be in your life. And it's going to be difficult. Why? Because there are things that are in our lives that God's saying, it doesn't belong there. So we come to a place where he says, i got to mold and shape you. I have to start carving away. And as I continue, you're going to begin to see my image come on your life. Not your own, my image. And that's a choice that we make. Now, there are some changes that we make or that we go through that we don't have a choice. Like when our children are growing up. Now I have two boys, and when my boys were growing up, there was a time in their life where their voice started to change. You know, and it gets deeper and deeper. Or if you see, you know, a relative of yours, maybe a nephew, and you haven't seen them in a while, you know, when they're little, they're like, hi, auntie, hi, uncle. And then teenage years, it's, hey, uncle, how are you doing? It's like, whoa, what happened? It's, well, voice changes. Now, I don't have girls, so I don't know what changes they go through with voice or things like that or, uh, you know, personality. But I do know this. You don't have to make the effort to change when there's an automatic change that takes place in our life. You don't have to do anything to lose hair. It just happens. It's just all of a sudden, day by day, it's like one hair, two, five, fifty, five hundred. After a while, it's like just shave the whole thing and polish it well. It just goes. But it, it happens. Our hair changes color. It just happens. It's a natural result of our lives and our, our bodies going through changes. Now, when it comes to our spiritual walk with God, now we need to make decisions. And now we need to choose to change. See, changes with God doesn't automatically happen. We must choose that. It's a choice that we make. You know, when we think of pottery and we think of God being the potter and we're the clay, really that 
that theme that God uses makes so much sense because pottery is used around the world. And when it first began, in, in fact, in ancient Palestine, when they would use pottery, they would use different techniques. They would use different kinds of clays and sands and different mixtures. And they would learn how to make this, this pottery, how to make the best clay, how to put it in a fire where it would have a certain glow to the, to the, the piece. And, and they would know at what point it would be finished. And they would look at what would be the best possible way to make whatever it is that they were making, a bowl of some kind or some kind of shape. They would use whatever ways possible to bring out the very best of whatever that clay piece needed to end up looking like. But they didn't use the whole thing. They needed to take away some things that weren't supposed to be there. They had to use the best of the best ingredients. And so they included in it the very best to bring out the very best. And that's what God does for us. Now, as they began to learn more about ceramics and clay and and making that, technology changed along the way. And before, they would would have to push and and use just hand motions and, and their strength to bring out the clay and then to shape it into a vase or a bowl or something. But then as time went on, then the wheel came in. And when the, when the potter's wheel came in, then it helped so much more to use more of centrifugal force rather than just brute force to bring out smoothness out of the clay to make sure that it comes out to how they want it to be and it made it simpler. On the other hand, you had those who loved the tradition of just pushing the clay and shaping it. So there was a, a, there was a, a point in the history of making pottery where they didn't want to change. That those who loved the traditionary way of doing it stuck to that way and was never able to come to this place of being that much more creative. In other words, they, they, they came to a place in history where they said, I am am comfortable with how it's always been done. I am comfortable with how it has always been done. And so if you look at ancient pottery, it's always the same. Why? Because they stayed comfortable in how it's always been done. Well, those who transitioned, and even till today, who have transitioned to new technologies and new ways of doing things, were able to be more creative and to to be more artistic in what they were doing. Now, it didn't mean one was better than the other, but what it did do is it allowed this person to bring out their very best of artistic ability because they were willing to change. And therefore, they stepped up a little bit in how creative they could be. Now, again, no one better than the other, but I wonder, I wonder if we were in this place and we said, Lord, I love it just the way it is. I like my life just the way it is. I like the church just the way it is. I like things just the way they are. I like work just the way it is. I like my company just the way it is. I I like the friends that I'm around. I, I don't want anything to change. Just I'm fine with the way I am and I'm good with that. I wonder if we, we came to that place, if God was saying, but, but there's so much more I want to do in and through your life that's going to affect so, much, so many more people. That if we stay here and we say, God, I'm good with this. I'm fine where I am. God will be okay. God won't fight us. He's not going to force us to change. He's going to say, if that's 
if that's who you feel you need to be, and I'm trying to do something greater, that's your choice. And for many of us, we're good with that. We're saying, okay, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good with this. But then, because of God's great plan for us, many times what happens is he gives us a picture of who we could be. A picture of influence, a picture of how we can help other people. And if we stay here, this is as far as we go in influencing people. we got to remember this. If you are a Christian, a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to change. It's a part of discipleship. It's, it's a part of that. We ca- I cannot say I am a Christian unwilling to change. I can't say that's an, that's an oxymoron. Not you're an oxymoron. What I'm saying is an oxymoron. I cannot say I'm a believer and I refuse to change. I'm a believer, I refuse to influence people. I'm a believer, and I don't want to be discipled. It just doesn't go well together. However, I can say, you know, I'm just learning about the things of God, but I'm willing to change. And God says, then I can work with you. I can do great things in your life. I can help you help other people. Isn't that the whole idea behind Christianity? Isn't the whole idea behind following Jesus, helping other people find him? I mean, if I were to look at our lives as being influencers in the world, it likens us to Jesus saying, you are the light unto this world. That you are to shine in such a way that people see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. But if I never change, then how can I do the greater things? God says, I take you from glory to glory. I don't stop. It's going from one thing to the next. See, I I believe we can be people as believers, even though I've been, been in a season of being comfortable and, and being in a season of saying, but I like it how it is. I don't want to change. I don't want to do anything different. I really believe that this being our year of change that God gave us as a word, I believe we can go from this point to this point. It'll just be hard. See, these, these traditional potters, those who would make the pottery, they came to a place where they just felt this is good enough. That I am okay with where things are right now. My prayer for myself and for us as a church is that we will never settle for anything less than God's very best. His very best is so different than our very best. And I want to look at three truths that will help us today. To help us to understand that when God shapes us, he does it for a reason. And there is a reason why we go through what we go through. That we'll never settle in our old ways, never develop a, a spirit that says, I don't want to develop new techniques or, or, or a newness to my life. Because I don't see the benefits of doing so. That's what happened to these traditional pottery makers. They just didn't see the benefit of changing. Because everything was working well. It was fine. But if I want to become everything God wants me to be, i got to see the benefits ahead. Now, I want to speak to us as a, as a one-generation church. So it doesn't matter what age you are right now. Whatever age you are, whatever season you're in, this is for a one-generation church. It's not an age factor. It's for all of us. I want to ask you a question. 
Are you able to influence people who are older than you, same age as you, and younger than you? Are you able to influence people that are older than you, the same age as you, and younger than you? Because really, this is who God called us to be. When light shines, when you have a bulb or a candle of some sort, it's, he doesn't say you need to be a beam of light, a laser beam, which is directional. No, he says let your light so shine. In other words, 360 degrees, 360 degrees, your light is to shine above, on the side, and below that we are to influence all generations, wherever we may be. Why is that so? And here's why. Because we need each other to reach the world. No generation is more important than the other. We're a one-generation church. Look around you. You have people who are older than you, people who are younger than you, people who are the same age. Now, if you're the oldest person here, praise the Lord that you're here. We thank you for being here. At the same time, he still calls you to be an influencer. If you're the youngest person here and you're looking around and you're saying, I'm the youngest person here, thank God that you're here and thank God he's called you to be an influencer. But when God shapes us, he shapes us for a reason and with a purpose. Let's take out our notes and in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to use this as our, as our centerpiece scripture, as our foundation in talking about when God shapes us. And this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord says this, Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Here's what God is saying. When you cooperate with me, good. When you don't cooperate with me, not so good. If I want to tear down and rebuild, trust me in that. If I restructure your life, trust me in that. If things happen in your life and you're wondering, where are you, God? I'm still here, he says. Trust in me. Now, if there are things that we're doing that brings turmoil to our life, who are we to say to God, it's your fault? When God all along has been saying, I've been trying to work with you, you've been stubborn, but here we are right now. Let's work from this point on. Even then, we can trust God. Why? Because he is the potter, we're the clay. I'm so glad that it's not the other way around. I'm so glad that we can't change God. Imagine if we could change God, the world would be messed up. The world, I mean, if we could, if we could control God, he wouldn't be God. If, if, if I could make God do things, 
the Detroit Lions would have won yesterday. If I could make God do certain things, oh, it, life would be different, but it wouldn't be abundant life. So here's the first thing that we can learn. Here's a truth as we discover how God shapes us. Here's the first thing. Understand this, that God will always shape us to his very best. He will always shape us to his very best. He's not going to shape us according to what we think is best for us. He's going to shape us what is best for us. Sometimes we don't even know what's best for us. We think we know what's best for us, but he actually knows what's best for us. Now, in high school, I, I uh, took up some art classes because I love art, but at the same time, I was thinking, oh, these are just classes that I can breeze through. It'll be easy because I love art. Now, here's the problem. My teachers saw greater potential in me than I could see in myself. So when I would do something, a drawing, or create something, I'd, I'd do it easy. I could just put it together, no problem. And then I would just cruise the rest of the class until... One day, a couple of my teachers in different classes had to take me on the side, and, and, and they had to kind of sit me down, and, and they said, you know, Sheldon, what you're doing is great, but there's so much more in you. you. You don't take this class seriously. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why do I need to? I already have the talent. I don't need to learn anything more. I, why should I? I, I, can, I can do this. I don't. In other words, I was saying in my mind, I don't need your expertise. How prideful is that? There was this one day my, my art teacher, uh, I was fooling around in class. I already done my assignment. I was finished. But everybody else was working. And I'm playing around, making trouble to people, pulling out chairs from people and things like that. And my teacher calls me into his office and closes the door. Now, back in the day, this was, this was okay. And he just chewed me out. And he told me some things that teachers can't get away with today. And he really, he really shaped my mind. And basically, he said this, you have no idea what potential lies in you, have you? You have no idea how good you really are. Right now, what you're producing is your very least because you can get by. And then he said this, I see the very best. That's why I'm hard on you. And he said, now get out of my class Oh, get out of my office. If he said, get out of my class, I'd be like, shoots. But he said, get out of my office, and I want to see you produce. And I, I, I'm sure I could have done better. I'm sure I could have stepped up more. But boy, I remember after that talk, I thought, wait a minute. What is it that he sees in me? What do my teachers see in me? What are they here for anyway? What are my teachers there for? See, my teachers and our teachers today are not there to teach us what they know. Our teachers, and if you're a teacher, this is what you do best. You teach us how to bring out the best in us with what we don't know and have yet to learn. That's what teachers do well. Coaches do that well. They bring out the very best in their student. That's what God does in us. He brings out the very best because he knows What's best for us? His very best has yet to be attained by us. We don't have that yet. We're still being molded and shaped into his image, the image that he sees. My best always came up short to what teachers could see in me. 
That's why we need our teachers. That's why we need God. Our very best still comes up short compared to God's very best. And here's why. In Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 through 9, tells us this. That all of us, no one's excluded in this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all we all shrivel up like a leaf. In other words, we're just dead. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. See, as unclean as we are, as filthy as we are, like rags, as dry, dead leaves, our lives is something that God can see that could be better and better and better. And even though our sins sweep us away, we are all the work of God's hand. See, we have to be okay with God being the potter and we being the clay. We've got to make that decision that he knows what's best for us. Otherwise, we'll fight him every step of the way. Every time he wants to chip away something, we'll fight him and we'll say, no, I want that. We'll fight him every time he presses down on our life to bring out our very best. And we fight against him. We won't be able to take on the shape that he sees us to be. He knows what's best for us. And he brings out the very best. Here's the second thing. That God will use the necessary tools to shape us. He uses whatever tools necessary. Why? Because it's needed for the end result. He'll use whatever tools necessary to shape us. Whatever tools to shape us. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. But when the potter begins to sculpt, he may use various tools. He may use his hands. There are various tools for a, a, a sculptor when, it, when he works with clay. There's a cutting tool, needles for fine work. There's fetting knives, ribs and scrapers. There's loop wires and ribbon tools, sponges, brushes, wooden modeling tools. There are tons of tools that a sculptor will use to bring out the very best. And God does the same thing. He is very creative at using the necessary tools to bring out the very best in us. But sometimes what actually happens is that when God uses the tools necessary, we don't see it as tools we just see it as a difficult time. God will use whatever tool necessary, especially other people. There are times where Heidi and I will, will get into a, a disagreement, a fight, an argument or something. And, and the more I push against it, it's like God saying, you know, this is for you, right? I say, yeah, but she's wrong. You know, I'm right. She's wrong. He says, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, I'm pointing something out in your life. I'm, I'm using her as a tool to change what I see in you. Yeah, but she just brings out the worst in me. Right. That needs to come out in order for me to shape you into the image I see for you. Some time ago, I remember getting into an argument with a friend. And I started grumbling and, and complaining to God. And I remember throwing this tantrum and, uh, just with God. And I said, you know, God... Change this person. Like every time I talk with this person, 
like they, they grumble back, they fight against me, and, and can you change them? And then, and then when, I, when I say, no, this is, this, is, this is what I think, you can have your own opinion, they throw tantrums. And then they, 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 they give me the silent treatment. They don't want to talk to me. And so, God, can you change their heart? It's like God kind of brought me in closer and he says, oh, that's how I feel with you. I said, no, 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 wrong person. I'm praying about the other person. I'm letting you know that this is what the person does. These are their character flaws, A, B, C, D. And he says, yeah, right, yeah, I know. You need that person to see what's happening in you. I'm using that person as an instrument called a mirror. It's a, he's, he's a mirror. He's showing you what's inside of you and how you are with me and other people. And the moment I felt that from God, it's, it's, it was, it, and it still is, such a challenge to let God shape me, to change me, to be more like him. As we always say, the person you have a hard time getting along with is hard for you because they're just like you. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, you may say, oh, man, my wife, my husband brings out the worst in me. It needs to surface in order for God to take it off. Yeah, but if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't yell. <laughs> I, I said that before. I, I used to tell my kids, if, if the only time you listen is when I yell, guess what daddy is going to do? Uh, yell? Yes. If the only time you're going to listen is when I yell, for some reason, if I talk calmly to you, you don't listen. But when I yell, you listen, guess what daddy is going to do? And it's almost like God saying, if you only would listen to me, I wouldn't have to Yell. Sometimes God's voice in that gentle wind, that, that gentle, still, small voice for many of us is not enough. Now, I don't know if God actually yells, but I do know this. He has my 100% attention when I'm in pain. He has my 100% attention when I'm in pain. When my life is going through a struggle, my marriage, my relationships, my finances, when I'm in pain, I hear God so much clearer. And not because he hasn't been speaking. Maybe he has been saying the same thing all along. But now I can hear him clearly for some reason. And maybe it's through another person. Maybe, maybe there's a painful thing that's happening. God will use people one of the most instrumental changes that ever took place in our history of Christianity began with a man by the name of Paul the Apostle. When the early church was started and the disciples were spreading the gospel, a man by the name of Paul, well, Saul at that time, was converted and became a believer, a Christian. He was a Pharisee. He was one that followed the laws of God, but didn't know God. He didn't know Jesus. But when he made that life change, everything changed in his life. And he began to plant churches and, and spread the gospel. But, but along with that 
came, his, came the disciples of Jesus, being skeptical of this man's change, not knowing if this guy is really changed. Has he, has he made a change in his life? Is he going to be different, or do we have to be cautious of him? Well, God uses us as instruments, as he says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, and this is what he did with Paul. The Lord says to a man by the name of Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So well, this is what was happening. When Paul changed, when Saul changed and he became Paul, people were skeptical of him. Ananias was saying, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that has been persecuting Christians? And God says, listen, he is my chosen instrument. And I'm going to use him to bring my message to the world. Did you know that you and I are instruments of God? We are all instruments of God. We, we, all, we may be different kinds of instruments, but nonetheless, we are all instruments to God, being used in various ways. And God will even use other people as instruments to carve our life too, to help us to become better and better and better. You know what makes us great parents? Not having well-behaved kids. That's a God thing. For us to have well-behaved kids is a God thing. You know what makes us great parents? Being good children of God. That's what makes us great parents. If I can be your child, I'll be a great parent, regardless of how my children turn out. If I'm a great child of yours, I'm going to be a great parent. See, sometimes we measure parenthood on how well our kids are. But really, parenthood is how well I am of your child, God. And if I'm a child of you, I'll be okay with everything else. Why? Because God will even use children to shape us as parents. Can I get an amen from the parents? <laughs> right? And the kids are like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so if your children are acting up today, they're probably saying, I'm just carving you, just being an instrument to you. But God will do that. Did you know even the coworker that you have a hard time with, God is using to shape you? That person that just, just uh, irritates you. Like the moment you see them, just something stirs up in you. The moment you think of them, like right now, you're smiling because you're like, no way, God. They, they cannot be. I'm, I'm actually trying to be distant from that person. And God is saying, I'm trying to bring them close to you. Yeah, but they're a believer too. Right, iron sharpens iron. See, God will use people to shape us. He will even use that relative of yours, the one that just doesn't get it together. He will use your in-laws, the one you have a hard time with. I'm so glad I have a wonderful mother-in-law that I have a great time with. <laughs> He'll use anyone. He'll use someone in the checkout line, someone who's taking forever in line, someone who's talking story that you're like, okay, hey, can you hurry up and be quiet because I got to go. He'll use even that person. He'll use every single person to mold and shape us. Why? Because he wants to change us to his very best, to his image, the image that he sees. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, tells us, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds. And let's remember that word. We are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? You know, as God is trying to shape us, and for some of us, answer our prayers, 
we complain and fight with God through the entire process of what he's trying to accomplish. And he's using the tools to shape us. We pray for God to help us in our marriage. And then come the challenges, the molding, the shaping. And instead of drawing close to God, we tear each other apart. We draw away from God. We pray to God to help us with our finances. And he shows us how to utilize our finances his way. How to be a giver. And then we give him reasons why we don't want to do it his way. We pray for God to give us direction and then make time for him. But then we give our time to everything else. And then we grumble to God and blame him because things aren't going the way we want it to be. And God is saying, I want to take you from one place to the next, from glory to glory, as the Bible says. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21 says, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some for pottery, some pottery for special purposes, and some for common use? In other words, he's saying it should be okay if once you say God is a potter and you're the clay, for God to do what he needs to do in your life. It should be okay. Why? Because you already said you're the potter and I'm the clay. So do whatever you want to do. Now that word pot shirt is actually broken pieces of ceramic or, or clay pieces that have been uh, finalized. And when it's all broken into pieces, it's just pieces among pieces. Pot shirts among pot shirts. But did you know even when there's brokenness, God can still restore. Here's your third point that you can write in, that God restores the broken. He can restore even the broken. God can restore what's broken. God can restore what's broken on the inside as well as what's on the outside. God can restore a broken marriage, a broken relationship. He can restore broken finances. He can restore broken vision, broken faith. He can restore that. And, and that word restore really is to put back into a former state to reestablish or to reinstate. In other words, God can once again make all things new. He can reestablish you. He can build you up. He can make what is impossible that you think right now that he can make possible because of who he is. He's the potter. We're the clay. He still shapes us. I remember when I first moved here to the Big Island, when I, when I left home, it wasn't on the best terms with my mom. She really didn't know I was moving. I just said, I'm going to move to the Big Island. And, and I remember at that point, because of my art, I had a full ride scholarship to an art institute in Portland. And I could have went, but I had my son already in high school, and they were already living up here. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to go to college, or am I going to be a father here on the Big Island? And I just felt, I'm going to be a dad, and, and I'm going to move to the Big Island. Well, that didn't go well with my mom. If you can imagine, if you're a parent... And your child has a full-ride scholarship to college. And this was an expensive college because my son is attending that college right now, so I know how much it is. If you're that parent, can you imagine your son or daughter saying, I'm choosing otherwise? Now, it hurt my mom. It was very difficult tough transition. You might be in that transition right now. Maybe you're there with someone. But I can tell you this, that wasn't the end of my relationship with my mom. And although we didn't leave on good terms, I remember the morning I left, I had my bag, I was packed, and my mom was on the phone, 
And I said, Mom, I'm going to the Big Island. And this is after I graduated and because that was the deal. I needed to graduate first. And then she said, bye. No tears, nothing. We weren't, but I, but I knew the look on her face. You know when you as parents, when we try to stay strong? Yeah, she was trying to stay strong. And I remember when I left, I remember feeling like, I'm going to show you that I can do this. So the relationship wasn't that great. But I can tell you this, as time went on, as God began to mold and shape and chip away everything, and we've had, we've had numerous of conversations on the phone, grumbling, complaining, yelling at each other, hanging up on each other. We've had those conversations. But I can tell you this, thanks be to God that our relationship is the strongest ever. And it's at such a place where I would never have dreamt of our relationship being as strong as it is today. Why? Because there is a God who can restore even broken relationships in families, in marriages, in whatever way, because he's just that good. He's the potter, we're the clay. Lamentations chapter 4 verse 2 tells us how precious children of Zion, how, how the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay. The work of of a potter's hands. You know, the author of the book of Lamentations was expressing their human frailty, just saying, listen, I remember it felt like we were so worth like gold. Now we feel like pots of clay. How easily broken we can be. That once we had value and now we feel like we lost our value. That's why it's called the book of Lamentations. We're going to lament. We're going to have those times where, boy, I once felt worthy, but now I don't. Oh, boy, my, my marriage was great. Now it's not. My family was great. Now it's not. My relationship with so-and-so, my friend or this person, now there's betrayal. Now there's distrust. We can go back and forth, but then, but then God reminds us, I'm not finished yet. It was in the book of Job. Remember, Job went through some hard things. His family passed away. He lost it all. And even Job sat and said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job himself sat down. Job 10, verse 9. He says, Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust? This is Job speaking. But in everything Job did, he didn't sin. You know what is interesting is that as Job is saying to God himself, are you going to turn me back into dust? At the same time, Job is actually taking potsherds. And remember, Job broke out in boils. I'm sorry, it sounds a little gross, but he was using the potsherd to scrape himself because he was in that much pain. No longer was this enough. To bring him comfort. He had to use the potsherds. He was in that much pain, that much downtrodden. And he felt like, are you going to just turn me into dust? And I'm wondering if as he's using these potsherds, as God reminds him that even though these potsherds are broken, I can even grind that into fine dust and mix it again with some good material. And once again, create. And I can do that. If I can do that with pottery, I can do that with your very life. 
And Job's life turned around. You read the end of the book of Job. He was blessed double than when he first began. And that's who God is. He can restore us even after being broken. Even after it's not, it doesn't look like it's useful. God can still bring about in us the very best. And he does that through the person of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus did very well while he was here on this earth, while he walked this earth? When Jesus saw brokenness, he saw restoration. When Jesus saw someone hurting, he knew he could bring healing. And he does the very same thing today. When God saw a man with a withered hand who had no hand, Jesus could see the possibilities of healing. This is what happened in Matthew chapter 12, verse 13. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Listen, if God can restore a hand with his word, he can restore our life with his. That's why he gave his life for us. He gave his life so that we could have life. We just have to trust that he's the potter and we're the clay. That he used whatever instruments necessary to mold and shape us. We just need to cooperate with the potter because when we're in the potter's hand, great things come about. Amen. And close your Bibles and put away your notes. I'm going to ask Glenn to come to the keyboard. And I, I want to close with this story. And it's a, it's a wonderful story about, about a sculptor and even how Jesus changes us from being what we may think of less than or that our value has been gone. But the value that God gives to us is because of who he is, not because of what we've done or our accomplishments but if we can liken Jesus coming into our lives and, and carving this life into something great, then I think we can understand how God does what he does. And it's the story before uh, Michelangelo came into creating the masterpiece we know simply as David. There's a man by the name of Agostino D'Antonio who had worked diligently but unsuccessfully on a large piece of marble. He gave up the effort and says, I can do nothing with it. And left it on the side. Well, some others tried but failed. They tried and tried even after him, but they failed. Now, this piece of marble was left in a, in a rubbish heap for 40 years until one day, Michelangelo saw the stone and believed that it had great possibilities. And we know what happened. One of his greatest works, and here's the picture of it. This is a carving of David from this stone. David with his sling and capturing that giant in David as he killed Goliath. From what seemed worthless, this piece of stone was carved one of the world's greatest masterpieces of sculpture. For Michelangelo, the, the job of the sculptor was to free the forms that had formerly been there that was already inside of the stone. He believed every stone had a sculpture within it and the work of sculpting was simply a matter of chipping away everything that wasn't supposed to be there. 
And if we can have that picture of, of our life that as God chips away, yeah, as painful as it may be, in whatever ways God uses it, whenever that, that you know, when your, your anger comes up and there's uncontrolled anger, when whatever it is surfaces, let us always remember that God is chipping away everything that's not supposed to be there. Then then the end result is a masterpiece because of who he is, not because of who I am. I, at best, by myself, am just a block of clay, a stone block. But in the potter's hand, we are all masterpieces. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Lord, we're so thankful that you show us that you're doing something with our life. That when we don't see great things happening in our life, that maybe we gave up. Maybe you too see something in us that you can do something in our lives. Lord, you took the nails in your hands and in your feet so that we could be washed clean and start fresh. Today, Lord, we make a declaration that and give you permission to chip away everything that is not of you, everything that is not of you. And we trust in you. I pray for every marriage here this morning, every relationship, every family, every person here, every business, every work environment, every school classroom, everywhere we may be, that you would do your very best work in and through us, that we would trust you, that as you use different tools in our lives, including people, that we would cooperate with you. May we never settle anything for anything less than your very best. May we never become people who are comfortable and just want to remain the same. May we be people who go from glory to glory because you're the potter and we're the clay. So we trust in you, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Can we say an amen to that? Amen. Yeah, he's the potter. We're the clay. As we continue in our series, let this be just a, a good season for us. And, and last year when we prayed about this year being the year of change, just know that God is always making great changes because that's how good he is. For some of us, we might say, boy, if this change is going to happen, it's going to have to be a miracle. Well, then God is in the business of miracles. Amen.